0: Hi, everyone. I'm Laura Warnod, and this is the Wonder Workers podcast. Wonder Workers is an interview-based podcast where I invite changemakers to talk about their experience, their mission, and drive towards impacting the world, and ultimately to inspire, educate, and empower entrepreneurs, business leaders, and owners, and young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. This community of wonderwalkers act behind the scenes to lead the world towards a new era of purpose, self-actualization and innovation. This is a generation who shows no limits to what they can accomplish, no tolerance for their humanization, and use their uniqueness as a real power to change the world. We want to invite you, responsible leaders, entrepreneurs, young people, and all other listeners, in your quest for purpose to give you, too, the power to change the world. But having powers alone does not make us superheroes. Even them need allies. It's only when we accept our differences, combine our powers, belong, and thrive together, that our forces can turn into superpowers. We are Wonder Walkers, a community of changemakers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and aspiring ones who use their superpowers collectively to change the world. So tell me, what are your superpowers? In today's episode of Wonder Workers, I am with Solène Anglare. I met Solène this summer during an event that was around the relationship between mental health and well-being, and equality, equity, and inclusion. And Solène facilitated the event brilliantly. Really, it was done through a mix of mindfulness, jokes, presence, and storytelling. And I found that she really managed to galvanize the crowd and ask really relevant and interesting questions to inspire people, but also to kind of nudge the presenters to share insights and stories. I had the chance to talk to her before the recording, and really I cannot express how impressed I am by her life and professional journey, which seems to be driven by passion and mission to live a life beyond borders. Driven by the power of storytelling and having meaningful conversations about diversity, inclusion, belonging, and mental health, she really invites us into her world, her world that's a world where she finds innovative ways to impact our human experience. Solène is the founder of Be Beyond Borders, and she's on a mission to break down borders and bring the world closer together through the power of storytelling. As a neuroatypical individual herself, she is a vocal mental health and disability advocate. Solen has also a full-time job at Innovate UK, the government agency for innovation, as a program manager for disabled innovators. Previously, Solen has worked at large corporations around the world such as Veolia. Thomas Cook and Expedia Group. She's also the author of four books around identity and belonging and the host of a talk show, The Inclusion Conversation. She has lived in six countries and traveled to almost 60. I mean, such an inspiring experience and I cannot wait to talk to her and I'm sure you love her story. So yeah, let's jump in. Hi Solène. thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks <laughs>
1: for having me. I'm so excited. I have to say it's uh, yeah, I feel like I'm blushing just listening <laughs> to uh, to what
0: you've said just now. Thank you so much. Uh, well, it's all true really and I'm always trying to get to know my my guests before I have them on on any episodes really and the time that we spent talking together, it was I was so captivated by your story and I think you have so much more to tell so I can't wait to get into it but first let's start and talk a little bit more about you and who you are and yeah I'm just curious to know more about your story right from the beginning or wherever you want to start really (laughs) wow how long do you have (laughs) (laughs) actually
1: it's a very big question the question of who are you Uh, And that whole topic of identity has been, I feel, very much part of my journey. And I'm sure we'll cover that at some point. So if there's anyone else on this podcast listening and thinking, wow, I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, (laughs) I'm with you on that. (laughs) So uh, I suppose... Beginning, beginning, I was born um, in Paris in France and I was raised in Louvier, a small town in Normandy from the age of like two and a half to like 17. And I had these big dreams of traveling the world and I was always fascinated by like different cultures and different countries. I was also really hyperactive as a kid, so I loved drawing and dancing and just really like experiencing life to the fullest. I had a bit of a tough time. Um, That's actually an understatement. I had a really tough time at school. It started when I was about seven, eight, I started being bullied um, because I was overweight. And so that was really, really tough to feel that exclusion from my peers and really spending a lot of time alone. Um, What it did give me is the opportunity to write a lot. Um, I used to write a lot of poetry to kind of try and make sense of what was going on with me. And I suppose when I look back, I think that's when I started knowing that I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I tried to mask and park and and uh, hide away for a long time until about now, where I'm like reconnecting with a lot of these things. So yeah, it's been a bit of a journey since. I suppose if you like do the short version, when I was 17, I went to uh, uni. I studied in Bordeaux in the south of France. I did. Uh, master's degree in political science and international relations. During my studies, I spent a year in Norway where I lived and, and worked and studied, uh, learned Norwegian as well. Then I spent four months in the US for an internship and then I moved to the UK for the first time when I graduated, just after I graduated. I lived in the UK the first time for four and a half years and yeah, started at Veolia for two years, then Thomas Cook. Um, And then Thomas Cook sent me to China to open their office in Shanghai. Um, I was there for two years and then I quit everything to be with my now husband Mm. because we had done long distance for two years and that's a long time. (laughs) If anyone is in the long distance relationship, it's a long time. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And then moved to Australia for three and a half years, did my own business, worked for Expedia um, and then COVID kind of derailed all of that Mm -hmm. and I came back to the UK in December 2020, started working in innovation and obviously continuing also my own story. And you've said it really well, probably better than I'm going to say it now. Mm -hmm. um, But for me, everything that I've ever done has always been about a serving and helping others Um, B, breaking down barriers and borders. I think we spend too much time spotting the difference rather than focusing on both the beauty of those differences, but also of our similarities. And then really finally, like the, I suppose, commitment to justice and equity. And that's what I want to do, you know, and that's what I do in my day job. That's what I do in my other projects. That's what I do in every conversation. Sometimes I'm like, you know, it sounds so big. But in the end, if you boil it down to one thing, which you also referred to, is like, can I leave this person or anyone who's listening feeling just a little bit more hopeful, a little bit happier, a little bit more inspired, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, that's what I want
0: to do. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about here, but I definitely agree. And I think, you know, there's so much things to that we need to learn to navigate when it comes to diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, mental health. I think, you know, we've made so much progress in terms of opening the conversation around those topics. And we will come to that in a bit. But I guess what I would like to start talking about is you've done a TED Talk back in 2018 in, in Melbourne. And I mean, if you if you watch the TED Talk, it lasts like literally like three minutes or something. And in the first second, literally like you start being captivated by Solène because you have such a, I don't know, like some kind of presence that makes it, you know, we're attracted by what you're going to say and what you want to say and so on. And At some point, you said something that really hit me, and I was like, oh, I need to talk to Solène about this. You said, looking for a home, I found several homes. I found home in the world. I found home in my loved ones. And eventually, I found home within myself. What did you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, uh, straight into it. and
1: It's quite funny that you... um, You you quote this because I realized when you were asking me this question that I haven't actually answered your previous question quite properly, have Mm -hmm. I? Because I've told you a lot of things that I've done, Mm -hmm. but you actually asked me who I am. Mm -hmm. And this ties in again with that. And I think that third portion of the quote is where I'm at now. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. It is really hard to define truly who you are, because also a we're continuously evolving as individuals, um, and b we're influenced by the world around us, and c we're. You know, if you think about the Buddhist philosophy, we're both everything and nothing at the same time. We're everything because we're the entire universe coming together in this one mm-hmm. human manifestation. And at the same time, we're just a collection of atoms. We're mm-hmm. nothing. So, yeah, I, I we can come back to that. But to answer your question, what does I mean by that? It's interesting because... <laughs> I want to answer because obviously you're asked the question, you want mm-hmm. to give an answer. And at the same time, I kind of want to leave it open as well for people to think about what that might mean to them. So maybe I'll just give my own interpretation, but that is what it means to me. So I would invite you know anyone to kind yeah, of think about ahead. that, what it means for them. So I belong to the world. I think I found many homes because when I started traveling, I think I was very much I was trying to escape certain things. I was trying to escape that sense of being different or not belonging anywhere, of not being understood, of being excluded. And I was also at the same time looking for something, looking for who am I? Mm. Is there a place in this world where I can huh, mm. feel like I've come home and feel mm. like I belong? And so those were all the driving forces. And so I was desperately looking for a place, for a physical location. Mm -hmm. And actually I realized that I can get a sense of home almost anywhere. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a place. It can be a place. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, if you ask them, because I did this, I, part of my research, I asked lots of people, what is home to you? Where is home to you? And lots of people would say my hometown or where I grew up. And Mm -hmm. so it can be a place. And yet it, It doesn't have to be, and it can be more than a place too. And Mm -hmm. so the second layer of that is I started to realize that home, I felt at home when I was surrounded by people I loved and people who loved me and especially who made me feel safe. And that sense of safety and groundedness in a space where you can be yourself and you're not always worried what are people going to think? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to mm. reject me? Are they going to exclude me? So that space and those people that make you feel like that's not happening. Mm. It's all good. You can be quirky. You can make silly jokes. Yeah. You can be yourself. People are going to be like, yeah, they're actually <laughs> going to, you know, yeah, you support you. Yeah, feel yeah. safe. Yeah. And I mean, they might challenge you, but, you know, in a way that is fueled with kind, unconditional love. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was the kind of journey. And then the third step was... Actually, there's really that thing around self-belonging. Like, I realized, how can I include people if I don't include myself? How Mm -hmm. can I create a sense of belonging for others if I don't create it for myself? And if I continuously judge myself, exclude Mm -hmm. myself you know hate myself I will say it I mean I have been there so yeah it was really that and that's the last bit of that quote is around you know realizing that actually I need to start there and it's not selfish Mm -hmm. it's necessary
0: Mm. yeah it's so interesting that you're talking about that because I think we forget a lot about self-belonging like What does it mean really? You know, it's even the case when you talk about love, you know, you you cannot love other people if you don't love yourself first. You need to kind of find, do that work on yourself where you get to know yourself a little bit better and you love yourself for who you are and you belong to yourself. Um, And I think that's so important. And especially when it comes to mental health, I think... It's interesting because you also wrote a story um back in 2017 2018 where you talked a bit about the challenges of living abroad. You know that that was way before covid and you already talked about that aspect of mental health and how sometimes you're not okay and it's okay not to be okay and how you can feel guilty to feel this way and sometimes lonely as well while you are traveling the world right and i think that so many people can relate to that because for example i had experiences as well where people just try to diminish my experience or invalidate my feelings because to them from their perspective i had the dream or like the famous move on, these people that have it worse than you. And I think that first, that doesn't help. And second, that makes it even worse because then you start shaming yourself for having those feelings and you don't give permission to to yourself to feel whatever you're feeling and you close yourself up to the world. And I think that even if we've made so much progress about opening the conversation on, mental health and what it means to belong and inclusion and equity and diversity and so on, I think that was still kind of quick to judge other people's experiences and feeling. And so I guess my question is, what was your journey with that? And how did you come to term with, <laughs> with uh, yeah, with... Being okay with not being okay and accepting your situation and not almost not caring about what other people might think.
1: Wow, that's a big one. Um, (laughs) That's a very big one. There are so many elements in there and I hope that I can do it justice and please follow up with any other questions if I've missed some elements of Mm -hmm. this. The first thing I want to kind of refer back to is the element of Mm. self-love that you mentioned early on in, in, in the question. That's something that I've always found extremely difficult, like to be told that You can't really love others if you don't love yourself, because I have been someone that has not loved myself and to the extreme, you know, in in some times of my life, really, truly hated myself. And yet I feel like I have given so much love to other people. And so I think what helped me personally was to kind of reframe it and think more like, It's very difficult to love others in the way that they want to be and they need to be loved when you don't love yourself, meaning that you can still love them. But because you're not satisfying your own craving for validation that you Mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, a need for compassion. You might be loving them in the in the way that you need to be loved rather than in the way that they mm. need or want to be loved. And I think that's a very interesting nuance, which has personally really helped me to think, okay, actually, no, like I, I, I have and I do love others. Mm. I just, if I draw a little bit more the attention on how I nurture myself, then I might love them in an even deeper, more meaningful way for them. Mm. So yeah, just Ah, so interesting. So it's
0: almost about how do I love how do I love others? Like how do I make sure that I love others in the way that they want to be loved? Yeah, it's like do I love and show my love to
1: others because I want them to love me back? Or truly? Truly and sincerely, because I love them full stop, no matter, kind of. Mm. And I I was going to say no matter what, and then I'm going to correct myself because I don't want anyone to take this and be like, oh, she's told us to love people who are not respecting us and honoring us. I very much, you know, want to say that it goes both ways as well. We need to make sure that we are safe and that people also love us back in the way that we want, need, appreciate, to be loved. There's the whole piece around the different languages of love as well, that's really interesting. Mm. And, you know, that's something to dive into as well. So, yeah, that was just a point about the love element. Um, and then your question, you might have to ask me again yeah. because now I've lost my trail. No, no, that's
0: okay. So I guess, you know, we talk about self-love and what it means to belong to ourselves, and therefore, you know, l- loving others and belonging in wider community and I think that you know sometimes we are quick to deny other people experiences and feelings and I guess from what you wrote back in 2017 of you know being okay with not being with um, not being okay and sometimes feeling guilt about it, although you are doing something amazing that is traveling the world. What was your journey with coming to terms with that, I guess, and with what other people might think and just being okay with that because you're okay with what you're doing and, you know, how you're feeling and you don't care about I mean, I care
1: very much. I'm going <laughs> to say that. Um, I think anyone who would really say they don't care at all about what other people think, I wouldn't be worried about <laughs> that in the sense that, you know, how do you keep progressing and growing as a mm. person if you truly don't care about what other people have to say. I think the question is more about what do you take in and and what do you say? Mm, actually, this, you know, is not necessarily mm. useful feedback, but we can circle back on that. The first thing is about judgment and we all ju- judge each other. It's a natural thing. Mm. And, and I think letting go of feeling like, oh, I need to find a way that I don't judge. I, well... Please, anyone correct me if I'm wrong, you know, from the scientific perspective, but I don't think that's possible Mm -hmm. because our brains are receiving millions of information every given second. And so we need a lot of the processing to happen subconsciously, to happen in the background. And that leads to quick judgments. And some of these quick judgments are really, really helpful. Here is danger, you know, mm, go to safety. Super helpful sometimes, mm-hmm. not all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's where we can bring consciousness to some of these processes and say, hang on a minute, why am I, and not why in an accusatory way, but in an inquisitive way, in a curiosity kind of way, how come, why am I feeling afraid in this situation I'm talking to this person and I'm like, "Oh, you know, mm. what's going on? And... Do I want to go with the fear, or is there maybe a different response? You know, do Mm. I want to adjust this response and be more open? You know, when I look at someone and I'm like looking at them, what are they wearing? Mm. I mean, this is a big problem (laughs) for French people. I think we tend to grow up in a culture that, to be honest, I mean, and I hope I can say this because being French Mm -hmm. um, and it is a general comment, so please, it was kind of half a joke as well, Um, but it is true. Like I noticed, like when I started living and moving abroad, that. I tended to be much more judgmental than a mm. lot of people around me about, for example, what people were wearing. Mm. And I would Felt look at too. people on the street, like mm. in London, and I would be like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, what are these people's hair and like yeah. color and yeah. all of that, you know? And so what I mean is like, we will have these judgments. These mm. judgments, they're part of our human experience. They're natural. Some of them are really helpful. And yet some are not, and we have the opportunity, and this is a gift, I think, mm-hmm. to adjust some of them and challenge it and be like, hang on, maybe there is a different way of looking at this. Maybe it's awesome that this person mm. is leaving the house in their pajamas because they want to do it. Yeah, awesome, 100%. let let them do it. Mm. So that's kind of the piece around judgment. And I have come to terms with the fact that I have judgments I have also been really proactive in kind of learning and unlearning and relearning a lot of things around My own biases and my own Mm. shortcuts and challenging that and really tried, you know, my hardest to be as educated and as inclusive as I can be while knowing that I still have more to learn than everything I've learned. Mm. And I think that's the piece where, you know, we also need to or if we're open to this, stay humble and be like, well, yeah, I mean. You know, Mm. getting there, but still learning, always learning, unlearning, relearning. And so to finish, I still do care what people think Mm. about me. In terms of caring or not caring about what people think about me being okay or not okay, I had to let go of that because Mm. I was so not okay at one point. I didn't want to be in this world anymore. Mm. Um, I knew how I would go about ending. this human experience, as we said at the beginning. And Mm so there's a point where your truth will just seep out, you know, whether you're afraid of people judging it or not Mm -hmm. is so strong and powerful that it's probably Mm going to seep out Mm -hmm. and making sure that it's kind of done in a safe and constructive space if you can if you can't just call me that's okay (laughs) i'll pick up the phone always happy to chat and help but yes so i do still care about what people think i just try to focus on where is it coming from you know Mm. is this purely someone who is gonna just judge me maybe because i've triggered something in themselves or maybe because you know not everyone's gonna like you and Mm. trying my hardest to let go of that because there's nothing I can do, but then also trying to identify those judgments or elements of feedback that are constructive. Because I want to improve myself. I don't Mm. think I'm perfect Mm. at all, you know? And so there's lots of time when you get this kind of response and, of course, your instinct is to be like, no, this is not right and this person is horrible or whatever. Mm. But actually, if you, again, you go against that and instead Mm. of... Stepping back, you lean in. Mm. I mean, there's been time, like a time I had a comment on my blog, like, oh, you don't really understand the experience of the LGBT community because, you you know, you wrote it's all about love. But actually, it's not all about love. It's also about struggle and advocacy and so much more mm. work that needs to be done. And my first instinct was to kind of step back and, oh, I'm never talking about this again. Mm. But then my second instinct was like, no, you know what? I set up a call with this person and I said, tell me, teach me, you Mm. know, tell me everything I don't know because I want to know and I want to help. I want to be an ally. Mm. You know, how can I be better?
0: Yeah. And I think it's so important, that point that you just said at the end about learning from other people. And um, I think I mean, you're going to tell me, but I think that's a huge part of being an advocate in, you know, mental health or, um, you know, diversity and inclusion. And I found that sometimes it requires a lot of courage as well, because I feel that, um, you know, today there's loads of people who might, you know, call themselves mental health advocates, but they don't necessarily try to learn from other people's experiences. And I think that's a shame because that's, to me, the unique way to make progress in those spaces about connecting to other people's experiences and, and, and journey and trying to understand what they're going through. And I think, you know, going back to advocacy, how would you define what it means to the listeners being a mental health advocate?
1: Another really great question. Thank (laughs) you for that. And yes, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of people will have lived experience around mental health, whether it's their own uh, family, a friend that's around them, whether it's temporary or, you know, more long-term. So in a way, we all have the power to advocate. Um, Mm. And yet we all have a limitation, which is what we truly know is our own human experience, is our own life, is our own lived experience, Mm. you know. And so it's a very powerful and yet very narrow place to start from. Mm. You know, in my case, I have experienced ups and downs with my mental health for sure. And at the lowest point, I was diagnosed with a long-term mental health condition, which has a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, It's called BPD, Borderline Personality Disorder. Mm. Uh, And that was, like, such a relief at the beginning. Like, whoa, there is a name for this? And you look back and you see, you know, so many things through that kind of new pair of eyes. It's like Mm. new lenses. And you're like, oh, yeah, that happened. That makes sense. And that other thing makes total sense. And and you kind of piece things back together. And the second thing that you find is also a community. Mm. You find other people that have similar experiences. And then the third thing that you find is that, you know, there are ways to help yourself and there are ways to learn about, you know, your condition or or diagnosis, whatever word you prefer, and really to empower yourself to, you Mm. know, I suppose, do something about it, Mm. you know, go from surviving to hopefully living and and thriving. Mm. And so for me and many people, I think it starts from that personal lived experience where you're like, okay, I have something I want to share, and and also I have something that I want to advocate for. Because what I want to advocate for is that we end the stigma around borderline. You know, we mm. stop saying that people with BPD cannot recover. That's not true. Mm-hmm. We stop saying that people with BPD are psychos, uh, manipulative. I mean, if anything, we're probably the worst at manipulation because everyone sees that we're trying to manipulate. So mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> um, and and in terms of psycho, and you know, as well, like the only harm that personally I've done deliberately is towards myself. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a lot of stigma. And so I suppose for me, it's very much kind of entering that space was very much driven by lived personal experience. But then at some point you realize that's not enough. And like you mm. say... The community and and the humanity is so beautiful and so diverse. And so I I really wanted to go beyond what I was experiencing. And I personally love reading and listening to books. So I just delved into, you know, what is anxiety like? What is depression like? What is an eating disorder? What is schizophrenia? Like Mm -hmm. just absorbing so much content out there because there is loads. Mm -hmm. And then once I felt I had some understanding through my own education Then connecting with communities, connecting with people and just asking questions. And that's why I started the inclusion conversation. Mm -hmm. A, because I wanted to bring people together. B, because I wanted to give a voice for people who feel they don't have one because they're not represented in mainstream media, in fashion, in, Mm. you know, you name it, in industry and innovation, etc. And also C, because there's always, you know, a little selfish element. I wanted to learn. Mm. I wanted to learn from my guests as well. And I was hoping also they would feel like, you know, they learned from each other and from, you know, the different topics, etc. And so, absolutely, I think lived experience can be a great place to start from your advocacy. But I think if you want to truly impact and change the world and bring justice where there is injustice, um, I think it's important to connect with community. And mm-hmm. and even BPD, I have the diagnosis But to get diagnosed with BPD, you need, there are nine criteria and you need to meet five. Mm. that means that there are 236, I think is the total, of different possibilities of combinations. And so you can imagine that diversity. And on top of that, people have been brought up in different cultures, different contexts. So I am currently doing this other talk show that I'm contributing to called the the BPD Bunch. And we Mm. show exactly that. We show that even within one diagnosis, you have so much diversity. Mm. And that's the thing. And you might never truly understand, like I might never truly understand what it's like to have a physical disability. Mm. I might never truly understand what it's like to, you know, have cancer, for example. Mm. You never know, but I might never. But what I can do is I can ask Mm. with curiosity, I can Mm. listen, I can learn, I can empathize and I can accept and respect. Mm. Because sometimes Mm. there are things even we don't understand and we might not agree with. Mm. And that's when it gets even more challenging. And Mm. I'm not, I wasn't, meant to go there probably but it's true you know there will be things that you'll be in front of something especially I think as we age you know Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry to say that but I see my grandma (laughs) love her to bits but you know there are some things that she really doesn't understand Mm. but what I see in her that I hope to embody in myself is that it's not because you don't understand that you can't accept and respect that this is how the person wants to be living their
0: own life Mm. Wow, I'm so glad that you you touched on all those points. I think there's so many interesting things here. And one that I would like to come back to is that thing around, you know, although you might have one personality or mental health disorder or issue, you have so many ways of experiencing it because we're all unique and we all have our lived experiences. We all have our own way of processing our feelings or, you know, our own perspective. I think that's so interesting because we've made so much progress, I feel, like in in the field of mental health and opening the conversation on mental health. And I think when you look at, you know, all the movements that are happening on social media, for example, where people feel way more comfortable to talk about their own journey and um, like their experiences with with mental health and kind of sharing tips and stories and and so on, I think that's incredibly valuable and meaningful and powerful because it feels like for once in the history of humanity, we are kind of united in our collective human experience. but I think this really eye-opening and kind of catalyst movement of, okay, we're talking about mental health from our own prism has gone quicker than, you know, some of the research in the field of mental health in 2022 and what we know about some disorders. And I feel like sometimes people don't connect with others' experiences and they talk too much about their own experiences because that's what they know, but they're not necessarily trying to connect with the other person experiences which they end up kind of labeling themselves of I have this I have that but actually mental health is a spectrum right you're sometimes you're you know right at the the beginning or the end of that spectrum sometimes you're a little bit in the middle and I guess sometimes if you're too quick to say oh I am this or that what I see from, you know, other people way of, I guess, expressing it on social media. And I guess my, my question is, how do you feel about that? And have you encountered that before with other people? Um, and what would you say is your role as a mental health advocate in changing the conversation around that? There's a lot in there. So I'm yeah. trying to like
1: make sure that, you know, I cover the whole conversation. I think mm. the first thing I would say is um, if anyone's listening and hasn't come across the mental health continuum, do check it out. So it's like got four quadrants. And so it's the two lines is uh, obviously your mental health. Everyone has a mental health. So you can mm. be yeah. OK or not. Okay. Like mm. everyone has a physical health. You yeah. know, we all, you exactly. know, sometimes mm. feeling better or less so. And then you have diagnosis or no diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So this really shows the complexity in terms of you can be diagnosed with a mental health condition uh, whether that's you know in my case or mm-hmm. you could have you know a generalized anxiety disorder or bipolar or mm-hmm. lots of different you know mental health conditions and and be okay in the sense of maybe you have treatment or maybe you just at the moment, okay, things are are going well, and vice versa, meaning you can have no diagnosis and maybe something in your life happened, some life-changing, life-altering event happened and and you're not okay. So I think that that's just a really useful tool to think about and, and again, to show that huge range and diversity in that. Then I think um, it's a really tough one, right, because we don't want anyone to feel that they can't share yeah. And everyone has a mental health. So when you think about it, everyone has a physical health. So if you really push that that kind of idea, you think, well, anyone at any given time might break their arm. So mm. similarly, anyone at any given time might suffer from high levels of anxiety. And maybe it's because they have an exam coming mm. up. And that makes total, yeah. absolute sense. So in my view, in that sense, we don't want to prevent people from saying you know, mm-hmm. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Yeah. If anything, we want to encourage it. Now, are we falling into the risk or the trap? And I'll use an analogy, which maybe sounds a little little silly, but I do think it illustrates this idea quite well. The analogy is around food allergies. Mm-hmm.
0: So I
1: have, <laughs> I'm allergic to dairy um, mm-hmm. and intolerant to eggs. And it's not fun. Like, mm-hmm. believe me, if I could eat all the cheese, I mean, I'm French, like, Please, (laughs) If I could eat all the cheese and have all the milk chocolate in the world, I I would. But I am really allergic and I get like a a rash and it's not life-threatening, thank goodness. Mm. But I even check, you know, every label because I'm like, no, traces I can't have, Mm etc. Now, obviously, at the moment, it's quite like fashionable to be like, Mm. I don't eat gluten or like I don't eat dairy or I'm doing this diet XYZ. And that makes it really hard because when Mm. you have a food allergy and you're going to a restaurant and you're like, you know, I'm allergic to dairy. And they're like, oh, but this dish is okay. We just put a little bit of butter in it. And you're like, no, No. it's (laughs) not okay. But because they have the experience of so many times having Mm. guests that are like, yeah, a little bit of butter is fine. You know, Mm. I just don't. I just don't eat dairy at the mm-hmm. moment kind of thing. So it dilutes that. But at the same time, because everyone is kind of like, oh, I don't like this, like that, whatever, mm-hmm. that helps to normalize it. So it's like yeah. in a similar way with the mental health conversation, it's great that everyone's talking about their own experiences. And at the same time, there is a risk that we might make some people feel like their experience is valid. So I think in the end, it all comes back for me to not. Whether we have the conversation or not, but how we have the conversation and Mm. creating those safe spaces and validating people and not judging. You know, if someone Mm. feels depressed and they want to use that word because that's the word that represents their experience, invite the conversation, Mm. listen, ask inquisitive questions, find ways that maybe you can help, but maybe just listening will help. Mm. It doesn't really matter if they use one word or another. Now, of course, mm. if someone comes with, you know, I have this diagnosis, take it seriously.
0: Mm, you know, yeah.
1: it's, it, it's, it's definitely not fun. Like I don't enjoy saying <laughs> yeah. I can't eat all the cheese. Yeah. I also don't have fun saying, you know, I have borderline personality disorder. And at the same time, I've learned to accept it. And this is going to maybe sound really bizarre but be proud of it too. Mm. Because, yeah, it's called disorder. You know, some -hmm. people hate that. I don't have a problem with that in the sense of I think we can reframe any word. And being different is not a bad thing.
0: Mm.
1: And having an experience, whatever it is, is not a bad thing. Mm. Let's be slower to judge and quicker to include, Mm -hmm.
0: I think. Yeah, definitely. I think... Like, as you said, there's a piece around education, but there's also a piece around listening to each other's experiences and having a conversation about it and being like, okay, what what is it that you're experiencing and what are you feeling right now and what you should do to feel better, basically.
1: Uh, What you think you should want to do or can do because should... Straight away, implies judgment. So, yeah, and and empowering anyone to think for themselves because most of the time we have our own answers, you know. It's just hard to get to them sometimes because we are maybe full of our emotions Mm. or we turn to people that we trust because we just want them to tell us, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Um, But most of the time that's not actually helpful. Mm. We realize later, you know, three steps later, it's like, Okay, actually, all along, I knew deep down what I, I needed and yeah. wanted to do to weather the storm or whatever might be happening. And yeah, I think creating conversation, creating community around this. But also, and you, you touched on this, and I wanted to talk about it, and I forgot, yeah. <laughs> but about the research and I think it it just fascinates me because there is always that question, you know, do we have more people with mental health issues now than we used to, or do we just talk about it more? Oh, and, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a massive, exactly, massive yeah. question. Mm-hmm. And in the end, in my view, it's like, on the one hand, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about it. But on the other hand, it's like, who's looking at the reasons, like the causes, mm-hmm. you know, because... For example, social media. Mm. You touched on that as well, you know? Like, we're constantly, and I'm guilty of this. I'm I'm saying this from a place of, like, I get it, you know, not a place of like, I'm judging you or I'm saying a better way to whatever. Like, no. How many times I found myself scrolling for like an hour Mm -hmm. or two hours and be like, everyone's living their best life. What Mm -hmm. am I doing? You know, I need to do more. I can't sleep because of all of this, you know, because we're comparing the picture version of the person's life versus mm. like the real experience that we're having, which mm. they might have exactly the same feeling with the next picture we're going to post. And mm. yet some people are starting to post like their genuine crisis. But even then, some people then feel like, is this performative? You know, did they? Yeah. Mm. So there's so much exacerbation yeah. and that's social media. Then take the workplace. Work, work, work. Come disconnect. Your phone is on you the whole entire time. You know, mm. the expectations are so different to what they were, you know, in our parents' generation. Mm. And I'm not saying, by the way, that our parents didn't have mental... Because again, like I've said, mental health, everyone has mental health. Everyone has physical health. But I'm just wondering, is anyone in this whole mental health conversation, and I know, I know there are people doing this, but Mm. I just want to provoke this, you know, are we looking at just the symptom, just what is going on in people's Mm. own experiences, or are we kind of taking, and please let's, take Mm. two steps back and think, could we have a four-day work week? Mm. Could we not have our phones on all the time, you know? Could we change certain things um, about social media by kind of pressuring for these things to change, you know, and and putting the human back at the center of what we do rather than the AI technology. Um, (laughs) And I won't go too much into that because that's not my territory, but I do think that's a really important conversation to have.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much stuff that you touched on and that I would like to talk about. But I would love to talk about Be Beyond Borders as well and what you're doing there. Tell us more about Be Beyond Borders and, you know, what was the original quest, I guess, or like the original mission of when you started Be Beyond Borders and what does it mean for you now?
1: Oh, I love this question. Um, thank you so much. Um, Bibi on Borders, it, it started as a blog. Initially in 2017, I was living in China and I was meeting so many people because I was traveling a lot, you know, for work and, and for fun as well. And I was meeting so many people who like were born there, grew up there, lived there, you know, just like mm-hmm. kept moving. And I, I was like, ah, oh, these stories are so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love how, people who have had that wide range of like cultural experiences, upbringing, life have slightly different perspective. And the people I was meeting, they all had or seemed to have this one thing in common, which was, you know, we're all human.
0: Mm-hmm. At the end
1: of the day, We're all different, and that's beautiful. And at the same time, we're all human, and that's equally beautiful. And so I really wanted to bring this to life. I wanted more people who maybe don't have the opportunity to travel but have definitely the curiosity to learn to be able to hear those stories as well. And I thought that if we heard more about each other and learned more about each other, then it would be impossible to hate each other Mm. anymore. You know, it would be like, well... Why am I going to judge someone who's from, you know, XYZ country? Like, actually, I know this person and that other person I saw on this show and they are amazing and, and mm. you know, they're from there. And so I, I wanted to challenge preconceptions by bringing to the forefront the stories of people with these kind of slightly unusual, very diverse cultural um, lives and upbringings. Um, that's how I started. So I started as a blog and a set of interviews that I did in well, after I moved to Australia. And then I thought, well, hmm, I also kind of want to share my own story and my reflections on home. So then it became my kind of publication company, I suppose. <laughs> and so, yeah, I wrote my first book, which is a travel memoir um, called Where to next Mm -hmm. about home and belonging and identity some of the things we've touched on before and then I wrote um, where are you from which is a children's story because Mm -hmm. again I wanted to bring this message to kids to you know really say we are from the world like what if we stepped back and we looked at and I know this sounds idealistic but at the same time don't we need more of idealism. Mm. So if we took a step back and we looked at one world, one people, you know, especially in the face of like the climate crisis that we are very much in, mm. you know, if we looked at resources holistically and humanity holistically and how can we actually make this work long term as as in really treating the planet as our home collectively, um, beyond the borders, mm. beyond the politics, etc., and so that, that's where it started. And then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. um, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you know, Good. all the borders are going up and I'm sitting there thinking, well, all I'm talking about is bra- breaking down borders, bringing people together, traveling all over the world, telling stories of amazing people across these kind of divisions and disagreements. <laughs> and uh, I, I mm-hmm. lost a bit of... Sense, you know, I w- mm. I was lost because I was seeing the world change in a direction that it was so far removed from my deep convictions and mm. hopes and dreams, and so it took me a while. It took me a good year of like kind of not really knowing what it was going to become until I realized that yes, there are physical borders, still very much so, and I still want to work on that. There are also borders of the mind. Mm and like we've touched on before yeah. judgments lack of acceptance exclusion and i thought ooh i can i can work on that mm. you know i can also operate on that level where i am bringing again conversations mm. convening people writing storytelling about breaking down barriers and borders all around, because they are everywhere. They're in our heads too. I mean, how many of our own borders and barriers we have in our minds, right, about the things we can or can't do the things we should and shouldn't do. That's where it kind of evolved. And that's when I started the Inclusion Conversation every month, bringing people together on a different topic around diversity and inclusion and, and starting to have conversations where a lot of people don't have conversations mm-hmm. so I like to talk about things that people say you shouldn't talk about yeah I actually love when someone says, well you I don't think you should do an episode on suicide I don't think it's a good idea <sighs> and I'm like great that's exactly what I'm gonna do yeah. <laughs> um. yeah. yeah I
0: can definitely relate to that because I had this experience before in the workplace where I was trying to bring real conversations around white supremacy and Um, and what it means and just opening the conversation on the topic and uh, like inviting people to share their own experiences with racism, basically. And I started doing that and I think that at the end people ended up being so uncomfortable about the topic that they were like, maybe it's a bit too soon to start talking about that. And well, I have my own opinion about it as well, but I can definitely understand um, what you're saying. And what I'm really interested about, too, is that you use storytelling really as central point of having those conversations. It's not just about um, having a conversation. It's also about building, like, having a story around it and really, like, em- embellishing it, um, you know, with the power of storytelling Um And I mean, I've seen you facilitating that event. And again, you know, you were so I was all here for you because you have something of, you know, really captivating the audience. And so I guess what I'd like to know more about is how do you think storytelling can have a real impact on diversity and inclusion and mental health? Oh, I
1: love this question
0: again. <laughs> you're really uh, bringing all the all the good stuff today.
1: <laughs> I want to say by the way, well done to you for putting on, you know, um, such events. Uh, I've had a similar experience in terms of you really, you know, really kind of going into these spaces and trying to challenge and trying to uh, make little, people yeah. feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. um, and at this yeah, at the same time I, I guess learning now kind of How can I meet people where they're at, but then just expand it slightly? And I think about it now as an onion. And Mm -hmm. it's like maybe that topic of white supremacy and racism, or uh, in my case, the work I'm doing now with ableism and internalized ableism and kind of the disability conversation. Maybe that's like the edge of the onion. And I want to get there. But maybe people are at the center of the onion and I kind of need to unpeel other things first, you know, and maybe first I do an event, uh, you know, I don't know about hidden disabilities. And then I do an event about neurodiversity. And then I do an event about physical disability. Mm. And then eventually, I'll get to ableism and internalized ableism. Mm. I love that. I love that you're operating in this space as well. And storytelling in this space, I think is so important. It is really powerful. Mm. Like, I think we underestimate the power of stories. And there's this great book I'm actually listening to at the moment I highly recommend called The Storyteller's Secret.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's using a lot of experiences from great storytellers of our times and of previous times and unpacking what made them great storytellers. Um, And it touches a lot on TED Talks. And it's funny, Mm. we're kind of circling back and it's showing that most TED Talks, you know, 70% plus is a story. Mm. And the actual hard-hitting facts or points just come in kind of almost like casually into Mm. the story. And that's what makes us much more able to digest them. Mm. And it's the same if you think about innovation. When I'm working a lot with entrepreneurs, innovators, and when you see a pitch you know if someone's going to pitch you just think about it like someone mm. pitching their idea and the first slide is like a whole bunch of numbers and they're telling you why they're <laughs> going to be you know the next the, the uber of or the google of yeah. or the airbnb of you know of course mm. um, um, <laughs> and they're showing you all these predictions and let's be real i mean either you're on your phone or you're like completely zoning out thinking about what you're eating for dinner mm. you know yeah, yeah. because you don't know why why does it matter why is it important and the story is what's going to give you that that why. Mm. You know yeah. if the person says, you know this is what happened to me or this is what happened to my family or to my friend or you know this is what I noticed or this is what I learned when I did xyz or I went on a mission on the other side of the world or or in my backyard and I did experiments mm. on worms I have no idea. Mm. But whatever is that story that is going to be the hook and then people are going to want to listen. And they're going to integrate those facts mm. and those numbers and be like, oh, wow, this is also an amazing business idea.
0: Mm. But if you
1: miss the story, if you don't grab people from their gut and their heart and you try just to talk to their heads, mm-hmm. chances are, mm. unless you have the next Airbnb or Uber or... But even then, mm. you might n- not even, you know, get yeah, and
0: And when you see like even people like Steve Jobs, for example, like the way they were... You know, they they were brilliant minds with, like, brilliant ideas. And the fact is that he has built a technological empire, but he was such a good storyteller as well. He had, like, a gift of, like, being able to bring his ideas to the world. And I'm so glad that you touched on mm. innovation because... I just want to say, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm going to interrupt. I just yeah. want to say
1: he had a gift, but also he recognized the power of storytelling and he yeah. very much spoke about that. And he wanted to always do better in in that field and Mm -hmm. how he could say tell a story and sell a new product within four sentences and that Mm -hmm. was really you know important Mm -hmm. to him and he's a great example of storytelling in that space you know people like opera as well you know there's so many people that have perhaps they have a gift and a talent I would say so I mean you never know right but they also have a a connection to story, a respect mm. for story and a and a willingness to, to learn and, mm. and to practice the art mm. of storytelling. Mm. I yeah. always think of storytelling, you know, uh, for me, the image that comes to mind, I don't know, and I would invite, you know, anyone listening to let their imagination go. But for me, I always think about being around a, a fire in the, yeah. in the night and, and, you know, having everyone kind of in a circle and, and sharing a little bit about their story. And I don't know where really that's coming from because I... I can't yeah. really think I did much <laughs> of that uh, growing up, but it's what comes to mind. And I think it shows that we, and that's what I love about this image, we all have a story to tell. Mm. In fact, we all have multiple stories to yeah. tell.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that regardless of whether it's it's a gift or not to you and to other people that you just named, I think it's, it's just that it comes more naturally. And I think... You know, you touched on innovation as well and how this is linked to storytelling. And I think that's so interesting because so you work at Innovate UK, um, the government agency for innovation, and you worked on Ableism and, um, you know, how to innovate for disabled people people in the UK, right, if I'm right? So, yeah, I work uh, currently for Innovate UK. As you
1: said, uh, my role is program manager for disabled innovators. So it's really about how do we enable, support um, disabled people to to innovate, Mm. to create their own businesses and drive their ideas forward because there are so many barriers for disabled people. I mean, in in general, you know, in Mm. our society, like the more you read, you know, the more heartbreaking it feels. But then, of course, it's me trying to stay optimistic. (laughs) Mm. So many barriers mean also so many opportunities to make innovation uh, more accessible and more inclusive because we know uh, for a fact that Mm. disabled people have tons of ideas. Disability does give you, A, a different perspective, um, B, um, usually a lot of problem-solving abilities because you've had to do that just Mm. to survive, Just, you know, to interact with a society that's not built for you um, and see, uh, you know, a lot of resilience as well, which is really important uh, in the world of entrepreneurship. So I am obviously, uh, you know, I'm part of the community with my own lived experience. But again, like we said before, it's only one aspect. And so I'm learning so much and I feel really grateful. And at the same time, I feel like an absolute imposter. And at the same time, I feel so um, empowered, you know, all yeah. of the feels at the same time that make me want to drive this work forward. Um, and before this, I was actually looking after a program uh, called the Young Innovators Program. Mm-hmm. So it was helping young people to get funding and support um, to, d- to just go from an idea to really um, grow and develop a business. So, so, yeah, and I've loved that. And if, you know, any young innovators are, are listening, yeah. definitely want to thank the community because, yeah, what a privilege to work with young people and, and to just think that I can help, even if it's just a little bit, to break down barriers and, and to get people to their dream. That's, mm. you know, oh, it's, for me personally, it's so much more rewarding to know that I can help someone succeed than anything that I could do myself.
0: It's so inspiring. And I think that what you're talking about now is also the future in a way, because, I mean, I'm I'm doing workplace and in social innovation. So it's working, um, you know, closely with um, companies to find way to innovate in the workplace and create engagement that's going to help with social innovation. And I think I have a, a background in transformation. And I found now that, you know, once I reflected back on my experience, and I was like, transformation is such a heavy, long term, sometimes waterfall approach to changing the workplace and uh, employee engagement and culture and diversity and inclusion and mental health. And I think that the intention is here. You know, we want to change things, but transformation is very long-term. And I think that's something that we've learned is that first, we can't really predict the future. We (laughs) can dream about it or envision it, but we can't really predict it. Hello, COVID. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And second, I think that we need actions now And we need, I think, organizations, we like innovators and entrepreneurs and, you know, small business owners need to have more flexibility and agility, but also being proactive about changing mindsets in the workplace. And so I guess my question is that because you work in the innovation space for, you know, uh, for, to, to help um, disabled people to, to innovate and kind of encourage de- them to find solutions. How do you see innovation and diversity and inclusion of mental health coming together? And what do you think big organizations that are now kind of struggling to get their head around it should do to actually uh, innovate on those topics and be more flexible and agile and find solutions?
1: Wow. Well, I'm not gonna tell you everything that they should do because they should pay me for that. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like what you said about transformation. That that's really got me thinking because I also start. I started. When I worked for Thomas Cook uh, back in the day, it's like 2013, I think, I was working in the transformation office. Mm. And, yeah, it's very interesting what you say about the word because I never really thought about this until now, but transformation is almost like implying that you're completely changing, whereas I think, yeah. well, is that even possible? Yeah. And also, do you want to truly totally transform or you're trying to change certain things. So mm. I like the model of like stop, start, continue. And mm. really to bring in, you know, the teams together, whether like for me, I work with innovators, whether you're working in a corporation with, you know, teams or mm. leaders, whoever it might be, co-creating the solution, like really coming together and going like, okay, what do we want to continue to do and to be? What do we want to start doing or being? Mm. And and what do we want to stop? Mm. Because it's no longer serving us. Mm. And you can do that at an individual level, at a team level, at an organization level. And I think it's it's such a simple exercise. But Mm. it's so powerful because we rarely want to completely transform everything. In terms of, like, the relationship between innovation, inclusion, diversity, and disability, and mental health. I mean, for me, it's like almost asking me, where is my nose? (laughs) Yeah, It's in the middle of my face. As in in the sense of like having diverse perspective around the table and then having that inclusion that allows people who are around the table to actually contribute and so therefore to get the benefits of those diverse perspectives allows for more creative, different, new Mm. ideas and therefore leads to innovation. Mm. So I think The relationship is really clear. I think the struggle is sometimes we have diversity, but we don't have inclusion. Mm. So we're like lots of different people around the table, but everyone is trying to wear a mask and fit in Mm. to be accepted. Um, And that's especially, you know, if we want to take mental health into Mm. now that equation or disability, you know, we know that the majority of people who experience these things mask. Mm. I mask all the time. Even though I'm in this environment, even though it should be OK to mm. be myself, and yet mm. I'm still scared mm. because there still is stigma, because I'm still not sure this these, this group of colleagues, that group, that, mm. where is it truly safe? And it takes time also to create this kind of safe environment. So focusing a lot on creating that safe environment if you have diversity, so creating, fostering inclusion through psychological safety and trust really important. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of things that you can do. Talk to me. (laughs) Happy to help. And then the other thing is the flip side. Sometimes we have inclusion. Everyone's feeling great and they can be themselves. And then we're, we're realizing, huh, But we're all so similar. That's why it's so easy. Because diversity and inclusion is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to be challenged. It's not easy to feel like you're giving all these ideas and there's so many pushbacks. There's so many reasons why it's not inclusive. And you're like, no, but we're trying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So really acknowledging and, and being very open about that. And I know that even in diversity and inclusion, and I'm going to stop talking because I'm talking too much. I'm very passionate (laughs) about this topic. But even in the field of diversity and inclusion, most of the work, specifically in the UK, is driven by white women. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a white woman. If you're listening, you you might not be seeing me. So I'm technically part, in that sense, of the privileged majority within my field. Mm -hmm. And you just go, oh, penny drop moment. Yeah. Do we have enough diversity in diversity and inclusion to drive this agenda, right? So really being very open and conscious of who's in the room, what are the dynamics, is everyone able to contribute? That is when we can truly get that power mm-hmm. from the diversity of perspectives Mental health disability is one of these elements. There are so many elements Mm. to making sure that the diversity is there. Um, And also not making assumptions. Being very, very careful about assumptions. You know, for example, if you meet me, if you see me, Mm -hmm. most people assume. And if you don't see me, then uh, that's okay. You haven't made that assumption yet. So you won't be kicking yourself (laughs) when Mm -hmm. I say it. Um, But most people assume that I'm very early in my career maybe, like, mid-20s, something like that. In the workplace, I get a lot of, oh, so you just graduated, like, did you study here? (sighs) You know, and, and (sighs) you know, I mean... I'm. Yeah. I'm not going to complain. I'm sure when I'm 60, I'll be very happy to look younger. But
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> currently,
1: it can get quite frustrating when you feel the need to insist that no, you've been working for 12 years, and you, mm. so being mindful again, it will happen automatically. Not beating ourselves up is normal to make mm. assumptions and judgments, but just posing them for a moment, suspending them for a moment, and truly listening to everyone's perspectives and being. Interested because the cost of going back and changing a product or a service because it's not accessible or not inclusive is so much higher than the cost of getting that diverse and inclusive innovation mm-hmm. design process in the first place. Mm-hmm. Do it up front.
0: Well, I mean. <laughs> I wish we had, like, I, I could talk to you for, like, hours because you, you know, you touched on... Because um, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you touched on so many important elements of, you know, diversity, and inclusion, that thing about also intersectionality of, you know, what it means to be a woman of a certain age, a woman of color, a woman, you know, with a disability. And I think that's something I would love to talk about, too, about... I mean, we're getting to the end of that that recording. I know, I (laughs) know. But yes, intersectionality
1: (laughs) is so important. And we all sit at so many different intersections and discrimination and barriers can, well, tend to very much so increase the more intersections you have. And yeah, it's so Mm -hmm. important. We have... This tendency so far in inclusion and diversity mm-hmm. to create subcommunities, which is awesome because we need to get together and we need to be like, oh, my God, you too. That's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. let's do something about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and at the same time, we may risk creating silos when actually so many people have multiple experiences. And then I've met, you know, and even myself, I'm like, well, do I go to the women's Mm. employee resource group, say, or Mm. do I go to the disability employee resource Mm. group or do I go to the kind of international Mm. employees or English as a second language? All these different groups and you're like, "Uh, I belong to so many of them, but I can't go to all of them. Mm. So where do I go? Mm. So I think we this is a big question for this space is like how do we also create the bridges between groups Um, because we have a lot of similar experiences, for mm. example, when it comes to minority stress, and that will be in another episode. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean I think we're gonna have to do a part two at some point <laughs> yes, because let's do um, it. There's so much <laughs> stuff that I, I want to talk about with you. But since we're getting to the end, um, this I have two signature questions for this podcast. It's called Wonder Workers and it's about inviting change makers to talk about their experience, how you know and and inspire and educate also leaders, other entrepreneurs, employees, young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. And you are part of the makers And I think, I hope that your story and experience has inspired a lot of people to think about, okay, how can I improve mental health and diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Or how can I actually do something in that space? Because I'm so interested and I can relate to your stories. And so my question is, What would you say is your superpower?
1: Oh, that is really hard. For someone who's always doubting themselves quite a lot, it's really hard to think you have any power, (laughs) let alone a superpower. (laughs) I think my superpower is love. Mm. I think my superpower is love that I have for... People around me, for my community, for our humanity in general. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where I pour all of my energy and all of what I do. It comes from that place. So
0: I didn't expect that, but (laughs) I think I will say that. That's amazing. Uh, I love that. I'm glad that you said that one because I definitely agree. And I think you also have storytelling superpower. You have passion and mission as well as a superpower that's really driving you that's really making who you are so I think that's super powerful but I love that you talked about love so that's great and last question who would you like to hear from next in this podcast
1: oh there are so many people (laughs) that I could name to hear from next um can I get two yeah sure (laughs) or three (laughs) <laughs> oh, cool. um, I would love to hear from Ology Day, who you know very well, um, and Louisa from yeah. Sisu. Yeah. I've I actually contacted to, them. So, oh, amazing. Yeah, I would love happen. to hear from them. They are the ones who gave me the opportunity to be the host at the conference that mm. you attended. They're absolutely amazing people doing amazing work. And I'm so grateful um, to them for that opportunity because they gave me the chance to do the work that I love and Mm. do it on a bigger stage than I had done previously. And, and, you know, I want to keep it going and Mm. I'd love for them to come. And one more person, if I may, I would love Celia Hensman to come to the show. Um, She's absolutely incredible young woman activist and change maker uh, in the disability area and Please, please amazing. have her on the show. <laughs> amazing.
0: Well, I'll make sure to uh, to contact her then. Well, we're getting to the end. So really, I mean, I can't say how grateful I am for this conversation. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Solène. It was so great to have you. And maybe, you know, who knows, we'll have a part two at some point uh, in the near I future. I love
1: that. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's been amazing. I'm honestly so grateful. I always love talking and I hope I very much hope that I could bring something to the conversation to the listeners at least a bit of love and hope I'm sure you did I'm sure
0: you did well you did to me at least so (laughs) thank you thank you so much take care everyone (laughs) follow the Wonder Walkers podcast so that every two weeks you can get notified when a new episode is out and I must say if you don't that's okay but that would be a big miss because we have more inspiring and powerful guests to come. So let's meet up in two weeks for a new episode of Wonder Walkers, a podcast that transports you into the world of our modern change catalysts and empowers you too to change the world. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Laura Warnod, founder of The Culture Cabinet. Thank you to Content this Queen for producing the podcast. But above all, Thank you for listening. See you soon.